Welcome to Fan Fiction is Good, actually, a podcast about how fan fiction is good, actually, I think, in my opinion, in my personal opinion. Uh, guest, if you could please introduce yourself, your name, and however you would like to be known, and if there are places on the internet you would like people to find you, now would be the time to share that. Hi, my name is Tess Langston, and in some uh, social media circles, also Shadow Shadow Puppeteer, spelled incorrectly because the correct way to spell it has already been taken. Uh, You can find me in, yeah, you can find me in my work um, at shadowcaststudio.com. I have two webcomics, one finished, one still in progress. There's Anime Asylum at somestories.com and Legendcatcher at legendcatcher.com. And you can find me in my work on Tumblr, DeviantArt, Twitter, and uh, I feel like there's one more. I can't. I can't remember. Trying to trying to run an online business with all the social media platforms can be really difficult. Yeah, that was actually really good. That was far more fluid than I typically do trying to introduce myself and any of my social media presence. So well done. And also, I will include your links in the episode description so that people know how the correct incorrect way to spell shadow puppeteer. Oh, yes, that is the that is the sad thing about the internet is when you're trying to come up with a cool name and then every, someone else is already taking it. Yeah, eternally the problem. It's even more insulting, honestly, when it's like a dead account and you just can't get the name back. Oh, rude. Mm-hmm. That is just rude. Someone should there should be a policy of like, oh, this is a dead account, and after a couple of years, like, well, it doesn't belong to you anymore, and then give it to someone who's going to actually use it. Yeah, I don't know how they would enforce that exactly, but surely there must be a way. Surely there must be a way of like checking, like, hey, are you a real person who actually wants this, buddy? <laughs> hey, you know, like I I understand why uh, Twitter corporate organization LLC Inc can't personally reach out to people and be like, hey, buddy, are you using your Twitter account? But, (sighs) you know, there must, there must be a way to rectify this. The internet, the internet is going to figure this out because pretty soon, just like every name will be taken. Every possible combination of letters and numbers will be taken. And then the introductions will be a lot more interesting and have a lot more numbers and different symbols involved. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to like really stretch our brain muscles memorizing each other's screen names. <laughs> anyway, um, Tess reached out to me on twitterinc.com org LLC uh, and was interested in talking about what, oh, what are your pronouns? I did not actually ask you that. Oh, uh, she, her, those are my pronouns. Gotcha. Okay. What she does on the internet and also uh, just general fan stuff. So we we talked about it for a while and we landed on uh, the idea of fan art being a good thing for you to talk about, given that you are a fan artist on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what I like to do before we get too deep into like the meat of the topic, uh, I would... I would love to know about your fandom journey. What was the first thing? Everybody has a first thing that like gets them into some kind of fandom culture. And then that acts as a springboard into like broader fandom culture. So how did you get here? Did you like a thing when you were a kid? Did you have nerd parents? Uh, Did you discover nerd stuff in college and it blew your mind? What's your, what's your deal? How did you arrive here? I got to say all of the above. Uh, I did have very nerdy parents. Uh, My father loved cartoons and my mother was a big art major. But I, the thing, I loved Little Madeline as a child, but what really got me into what I consider more of a fandom mindset was Scooby-Doo as a kid. Just the, I love this thing so much. I want to learn about the characters and uh, watch as much of it as I can. (laughs) So that probably explains a lot and how my mind has been ruined by Scooby-Doo. But the thing uh, that got me into fan art, because I was, I was always an art kid, but what really got me into that is to kind of preface it, I'm a person with autism. So I'm, and there's different kinds of um, learning when it comes to the autism spectrum. And there's a lot of different variety within that spectrum in general, but 
Temple Granite talks about a couple different learning types. There was pattern, which is math and music. There's uh, verbal, which is like um, written words and stuff. And then there's visual. And I land more in the visual part, but I also want to add in kinetic sort of like doing stuff or learning through action and then audio, which is another category I go into. So I'm an audio visual person. Mm -hmm. So words were really hard for me as a kid and uh, English and learning how to read was really difficult. So one thing is um, I had a fifth grade teacher who for a period of time would read to us during the day. And he would let me draw during that time. And in that time, I drew out what I thought the characters looked like so I could visualize the story. That's very, uh, very open-minded of your teacher, I've got to say. I've got a lot of memories of uh, elementary and middle school teachers who were extremely not that understanding. So <sighs> I'm glad that you had a teacher who was uh, sort of uh, open to how you used that time and how you process that information he was a very he it's very rare to come across really cool teachers like that and he was a diamond a, he was a diamond in the sand basically when it comes to education and it and he was also the one who let me read stuff like captain underpants because again learning words is really difficult when your brain is doesn't process written words that well and then just helping sort of visualize that. And that actually helps me with reading nowadays too. Cause sometimes when I'm reading, I go, wait, cause it's kind of like watching a movie in my head. And I go, I can't read until I know what the characters look like. Gosh, darn it. And I have to doodle it down really quickly. Cause I just, I can't. So, but that was sort of my foray into fan art. And then it kind of continued into middle school where I would, I started going into comics more and more and I got into my nerdy group of friends and I went, Oh, you know what? I could do like little fan drawings of all the stuff we really like. And that includes like um, stuff with anime that we really liked and a lot of uh, cartoons and all of that. So it just, it sort of was a way to sort of play and to sort of share these fun ideas with my friends. Yeah, I like I can't draw at all, like at all. I'm just not a good 2D artist. I'm sure that I could cultivate this if I really set my mind to it. But uh, people who can render something visually stunning in two dimensions are functionally wizards to me. And I treat <laughs> them with that respect and regard. So um, the, like I have I have known a few fan artists throughout my life and have uh, considered them like my most valuable friends because they can uh, take something that's in my brain and just make it exist in, in visual format. So uh, you currently are a fan artist, like, well, I'll, I'll let you define this for yourself. Cause I was about to say you're a fan artist professionally, but uh, if you consider yourself a fan artist or just an an artist, capital A, I guess is is kind of your call to make. I think I'm, I'm a bit of both, and I think a lot of artists are because we can't help but be influenced by other stuff and love other stuff. We're not creating things in a vacuum. A lot of professional artists, I've seen a lot of really cool professional artists do fan art of the stuff that they love or maybe there were some artists who got hired onto a different project and you go oh my gosh that's noelle stevenson she's drawing like for maybe this comic like in an alternate future or whatever or mm -hmm. you see notable people or they draw something of piece of fan art and they post it online going like you know what i really like this other comic i know that i've got my other piece over here but like it's just a show of affection so I, I guess um, no one's really – it's really hard to say if there's anyone who's purely a fan artist or anyone's purely a capital A artist because mm -hmm. it just sort of mixes together. And, like, there's there's no such thing as someone, I guess, who's not a fan artist because, like – and this is – I'm not the first person to point this out. This is a common refrain on the internet, but, like, Leonardo da Vinci didn't have OCs you know what i mean no <laughs> like we just like uh uh all sort of the human experience of art 
has been to some extent derivative, right? Everybody builds on what came before and everybody builds on cultural touchstones that they share communally. And it just so happens that in the modern era, our cultural touchstones are things like television. We're collective storytellers. Humans have been collective storytellers for about maybe even from the beginning of uh, humanity, like millions of years. And then it's only recently copyrights became a thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've been uh, recontextualizing stories. We've been um, influenced by each other's stories. And so it can't, it's, it's sort of weird because uh, a lot of people, um, nobody really asks, but a lot of people assume for like people on the autism spectrum, like, oh, what are your special interests? And I go, well, I guess I have three. That's mythology, biology, and animation. And so <laughs> I think of art and story as sort of in biology terms of this is sort of, um, we're building off each other. It's the children of these stories and they adapt and grow. And sometimes they reference back to that or this story is recycled and recontextualized in a new era to sort of fit into it. So, so uh, are you like classically trained as an artist? Did you go to school for art? I did. Yeah. I went to uh, my state's university and majored in media arts animation, but minored in fine arts. So it's really, um, so I did get trained and it's really good because a lot of when I talk to younger people about drawing and taking life drawing classes, and I was in this mindset too as a kid, they say, "Oh, um, if I take life drawing classes, they'll try and replace my style, or they won't let me use this style." And the metaphor I say is, "No, this is just a warm up to your style." Because I took, I, I tried. Okay, so I was one of those nerds who loves Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I got the Art of book. And when they talked about, "Oh, we," actually used real martial arts I went oh my gosh I have to learn oh I want to learn some martial arts so I know how this works so I can draw it later so I took some martial arts classes and for taekwondo especially they make you do stair drills so that your legs are got get muscle in them and so I say to a lot of kids no it's like you're building muscle behind the thing you gotta do those stair warm-ups before you can do the martial arts moves so life drawing classes are the stair drills. I'm just curious to know if uh, your experience with academia was kind of like anti-fan works because yeah. this has been, this has been like, even when I was in high school, so I was in some art classes in high school just because like I was a weird, like I said, I've never really been a good 2D artist, but I was a weird kid and art class was where the, where the weird kids hung out. Um, and my art teacher, as wonderful as she was, was like very she would disanimate a lot she was just like not interested in like pop culture art so and like i said this was only high school but i have heard from other people that uh like academic institutions are not friendly to derivative works so i was curious mm. if you had any experience with that yeah no i i kind of got that early on in high school too they were not big fans of anime and derivative works kids this was the 2000s and uh the big anime boom came in and this was back then when teachers were a lot more hostile towards anime and a lot of other pop culture stuff so i hope that that's not the case anymore but if it is i am so sorry and there are a lot of people on the internet who feel your pain but yeah i i think uh, a lot of teachers are millennials now at least <laughs> like not not universally but uh i i know a teacher who's very into my hero academia so i'm like <laughs> yes yes raise them right my guy <laughs> my sister's a teacher now and she loved dragon ball c so and she found out one of her kiddos loved the same series and so she came in with a vegeta shirt on and he got super excited <laughs> yeah we're um like I wonder if uh, millennial teachers have an easier time relating to like Gen Z. I don't know if I'm parsing the generations right, but I wonder if millennial teachers have an easier time relating to younger students or if it just like if if the uh, generational like understanding gap is inevitable 
and like the younger kids are just always going to perpetually be into something that the teachers don't get. I don't know. I like to think that the internet is unifying us a little bit, but I could be wrong. I, it could be a little bit of both because again like it depends on the person in general because some people are really good teachers and some just are not and are terrible human beings and why are they in this field of study but <laughs> uh, I, I hope the internet yeah it's the internet is more of a connect it's more of a great way of communication and it's really changed how we uh, connect to each other and I think fan art and actually fan fiction and all kinds of fan stuff that's a really good way of connecting with people is sharing, oh, I really love this thing. I want to share it creatively. And then other people look at that and go, oh my gosh, that's such a cool interpretation. I also loved same, like put things name here. Mm -hmm. I also love thing. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I love this interpretation of thing. That interpretation of thing could use work, but you know what? Keep trying. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what fandoms are you currently in? What are you into right now? Okay. So I gotta say, I, I love all genres. There's particular genres though, that are especially close to my heart, which is like the urban fantasy sort of paranormal stuff. So Mm. I, I look at some of my favorite things. (laughs) (laughs) I have a pattern. So, um, but I'm very flexible to all genres of, they have like really good stories and a really good cast, but. Uh, the things that are nearest and dearest to my heart and will always be is like Avatar The Last Airbender, as I've said before, uh, Inuyasha. Uh, I gotta say Hellboy recently. I fucking love Hellboy. Oh my oh, god. He's Guillermo so good. del Toro is my favorite director. And like those, those fil- I think he did two of the three, I think. No way. Yes. Yeah, he did Blade? the first two. Yeah, yes yeah. he did blade 2 oh his yeah, vampire he designs were... <laughs> his vampire designs were so good yeah del toro oh, love... is a genius he's got such a distinctive visual style it's it's great I love oh it. my gosh i want to get into lighting um in a minute but the other i guess the two that i'm really into now that i just discovered is so this was after everything happened. And I mean, I came in late because 2020 happened and I'm like, there's nothing else to do. I guess we got to watch a few shows, but Voltron, <laughs> like the animation is beautiful and I love the characters. So like, I really enjoyed Voltron also. I know some people had some problems with the last season or whatever. I, uh, I don't know if I ever even saw the last season, but let me tell you, I certainly enjoyed what I saw. I had a fun time with it. It's such a fun property, and Studio Murr is just a wonderful animation studio. They And the fight scenes are just chef's kiss, moi. But <laughs> as someone who's worked on collaborative projects, I could completely understand when a studio, like, it, any animation project or any project in general is a giant collaboration project. So it is so easy to have things sort of fall apart. So... I sympathize with the creators and the people on the team. I sympathize so bad because you're trying to do everything at once, but they did a great job regardless. It was, it's a great, it's a fun series. And I think the last series that I got into, because again, 2020, we're all inside and I'm like, well, I guess we have time to do this, but it's Gargoyles, the old Disney series. Yes. (sighs) Yes. Oh my God. That was like my sexual awakening as a child. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was the, oh God, gargoyles yes. gargoyles is why i'm like an adult monster fucker now <laughs> yeah uh as an adult watching it again now i re- i watched the whole series with my sister and i'm like oh my god this is actually really good and it has some it really is. wholesome moments it's good i've uh i haven't watched it all i've watched just like sort of assorted episodes as an adult and i don't think it was during the pandemic i think it was a little bit before that but it was on it was on a streaming service that i had and i was like whoa this holds up actually i understand i understand why young me was so obsessed with this um what a what a good show uh oh, like an like... author i like diane duane uh had some kind of involvement in that show and she is like active on tumblr and like mentions <sighs> it occasionally and i just it like mentally catapults me back to being like i don't know eight years old it's amazing oh, good show that's that is so awesome and 
it's so funny because when um because again mythology is one of the things i love and I loved going back and like researching a bunch of stuff if I get into a series. And so I remember as a kid distinctly watching Gargoyles and going, they look like they're half dragon. And then me as an adult researching Gargoyles and stuff and going, oh, wait, this is actually derived from a dragon story. Seven year old me is validated. I was right. I was 100% right. It's from a French dragon. I can't remember the exact name right now, but I'm just like, oh my God, this blows my mind. But so those are, and after watching Voltron and uh, Gargoyles in the same year, I realized, oh, these are basically the same show. Because my homo sapien pattern-seeking brain realized, mm-hmm. oh, these are like the same characters and there's a lot of the same plot points. And even though the settings are different, oh, I see. Okay, so we have uh, Team Dad trying to wrangle all these young people together and trying to survive in this new environment while everyone's trying to kill them, amongst other similarities. So I'm just tickled by that. Yeah, can we get a look... I'm not saying it needs a reboot because it, it's it's pretty ding dang good, but like we're in the era of reboots now, so I'm just shouting out into the universe. I'm manifesting. If we had a Gargoyles reboot, someone out there, I would watch it. I'd subscribe to whatever streaming service it's on. I'm just saying. Um, are like they need to like this is for me because I'm a big queer, but like they need to put some gays in it. Is what I need. Uh, well, I, I need, like in the comics, they made one of them gay and he has like a reindeer boyfriend or something. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knows about this. So they need to put it. They need to put his weird furry reindeer boyfriend in the show. So, OK, so in 2020, um, we also watched She-Ra as well. And after watching Voltron and She-Ra and then watching Gargoyles, I'm like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be great? Because these two other series were so were re- re- kind of redone from old shows. I would love part of my or uh, creative brain just went, Oh, if only I was a showrunner on like a next season of this show and like looking at She-Ra and Voltron and going, okay, how would I recontextualize a few things? What would I do to tweak some characters from the comics and all this stuff? Cause again, I did do that research and I'm also like, Oh man, I'd love to add some extra stuff in there too. But yes, just yes. Give it, give it the sort of a little, a little bit of the Voltron and She-Ra treatment and just, add in some more stuff but also just start it from one of the later series because the first two were great so Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you something but i'm gonna give you a primer first is that like i i don't like bright uh the 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 show or the movie starring will smith i'm curious if you've seen it and how you feel about it I saw part of it. I didn't finish it. So I guess I'd have to say I'd have to finish it to really under see if I really like it or not. But honestly, I'm, I've heard some bad things. I'm not really that interested. It just, it feels sort of cut and paste on real issues. So it yeah. it's not really fascinating to me at all. So I just thought I'd ask because uh, given that you mentioned how much you like urban fantasy, I also consider that my like, uh, I really like a good old fashioned uh, like high fantasy, like pseudo medieval fantasy, Mm. but I also equally really love an urban fantasy, like a modern day uh, sort of uh, Harry Dresden type character, like doing magic uh, in a grimy, gritty street with a a dumpster you know so <laughs> i was i was stoked about bright when i heard it was coming out i was like this is gonna be so cool it's like a original story and it's like uh it's exactly my genre and like it seems like it's kind of got something to say about society but um it was really really bad so um i i just was hoping that we could commiserate about it i didn't want to like miss it if it was something you liked but uh no like, it, it don't it, like it, it don't recommend it uh. okay so have you ever heard of what we do in the shadows oh love it love that oh, shit. Excellent. Excellent just got movie, through the second tv show yeah yes got through the second season it's beautiful it's wonderful and it is just 
these mythical creatures being total disasters. One of my favorite tropes of urban fantasy is when this mythical beast from the past is trying to figure out the modern world and doing a terrible job. And the joke about this, uh, they're invited to the Super Bowl party, but they they miss the uh, owl. a yeah. superb owl party. <laughs> I live off of that shit. I live off of it so much. <laughs> Give me mythical, and this is what I do in legend. This is this is why legend catcher sort of like the um, oh, this is all my favorite stuff put into the kitchen sink sort of thing. But just give me monsters trying to live in the real world. Give me dumb disguises. Give me total misunderstandings of what's actually going on in said modern day world. Just uh, put it into my veins right now. <laughs> Directly into my bloodstream. Directly yeah. into my weeaboo bloodstream. Um, yeah, D- pure pure gold there, like pure story creation gold, because it's like instantly recognizable. You know the the sort of uh, uh, like tropes, like a vampire is instantly recognizable. But then you have this entirely new story dynamic where you've just thrown them into situations where this very dignified. Uh, creature must deal with the terrible indignities of being a human alive today good stuff good stuff and especially when it's more of an affectionate parody you could see that the creators love vampire movies and they sort of poke fun at their favorite stuff like with the like the different actors from different vampire movies coming in and the tropes that you see but it's just it's in a loving way that it's kind of and Mel Brooks does affectionate parody the best, but it's kind of like looking at your partner and going, you're so stupid, but I love you so much. Creepy paper. <laughs> I did not right mean Mel's accent well there, but... <laughs> I know what you were going for, <laughs> They They reference the creepy paper like, like twice, and it gets me every time um oh my god that's beautiful that's beautiful oh my god uh, so um i've i've like gotten so far off on a tangent but uh like it's a what... beautiful tangent yeah no it's good i'm i i i love all of this we're keeping all of it um <laughs> good anyway so what like what what do you do now as a like an adult fan is you is like fan art your full-time job uh like is it a side hustle uh like where how do you how do you operate how do you how do you become a professional artiste fan well yeah um well my my main job is my studio shadow cast and i mainly put it up to sort of publish my original work and sell my products and art and stuff but so Again, because uh, I've got two original work, but s- fan art's sort of a side hustle, and it's also good for like commissions. But also, it's sort of it de-stresses me, and it's sort of fun to. And oh, this is when we get back to Guillermo del Toro's art, like uh, visual sort of lighting style and stuff. But it's a good way to experiment because I love visually experimenting and sort of figuring out how dissecting how does this style work? What's the lighting? What's the line work? It's sort of going into like the deep zone on that. So, and I recently have done this little experiment called uh, style swap. And it's because there's always those art style memes that go around, but it's, I take one of my original characters from my comic and I put them alongside a character from a different uh, property and I switch their styles. So I get to see what does my character look like in this style and then what does this character look like in my style? So it is a lot of um, experimentation on that, but in the con circuit and online and stuff, like perfectly acceptable for people to come up and ask like, Hey, could I get a commission of like this other property? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Cause legally, like that's perfectly valid. If I were to make fan art and go like, I'm going to sell this, that's a bit more tricky. So it's much more along the lines of it, it's sort of, it's sort of like uh just showing my appreciation for something I really like while also making my own thing over here, but just saying like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm also just a huge nerd. Capitalism. (laughs) I understand. Okay. I understand if it's, Oh, 
well, I'm going to make this new book over here that's totally ripped off of this thing. And the artist is going, oh, no, I need to eat. But it's another thing if they're doing stuff for free and they're expressing themselves online and making commentary and building on each other and and fostering creativity. That's another thing completely. So, I mean, yeah. There's there's certainly a give and take to like the whole concept of like intellectual property, right? Because Yeah. On the one hand, yes, it's good that people can't just like take someone else's work and pass it off as their own. That that is good. Um but there's also uh like some limitations on small creators that benefit corporations in a way that doesn't work the opposite direction. You know what I no. mean? No. It feels yeah. like it's putting a stranglehold on creativity saying you can only have this much amount of money to be creative when that shouldn't really be the case at all. And that's why it's really cool online to sort of have this free space to mm-hmm. do all this stuff. Cause again, it is, it's a way to find friends and build communities with people that's one big reason why I really like doing fan art is just like show and say like, Hey guys, I just got into this thing. I'm a big freaking nerd. You guys want to talk about it. And then also it's just really fun to sort of um, dissect and figure out art style. Like I did this whole private little art series I did based off of different movies lighting because there's so many, they're just so good including Guillermo del Toro. And I realized, Oh I'm still a giant theater nerd because I really liked the one based off of Phantom of the Opera. Oh, are you like, are you like into Phantom of the Opera? Are you like a, like a Lindsay Ellis type or is it just a casual interest? It's a casual interest because it was, my friends really loved it in middle school. And then I looked at the screen caps. I'm like, the lighting in this is really good. Like it's casual of like, oh, Phantom of the Opera was a part of my life. But I was like, oh, I love those deep blacks. (laughs) <laughs> again i love my love of hellboy has poked through just like oh i need all the black here oh <laughs> just give me just give me more black just give me just uh, just 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 more black in the shadows don't be afraid of it uh oh boy i had another thing i was gonna ask you and now it's now it's just escaped from my brain Come back, thought. Come back. <laughs> oh, uh, I was gonna ask if you uh, if you have people approaching you to do like horny art, and if you're amenable to that. I'm not asking you this because I'm trying to get you to like give oh, no, a no. like give a plug of your services. But uh, I've look, I've been in fan communities a long time, and uh, it's I have so. I'll give you I'll give you context. Uh, I I sell stuff on Etsy. Like I said, I'm not a 2D artist, but uh, I sew and I like make some like jewelry and stuff like that. And uh, at the time I was making Kigurumis, I had a lot of furries coming to me asking me to make them like their, you know, they couldn't like afford a full fursuit. So they were like, oh, can you make a Kigurumi of my OC? And the reason I stopped doing that is because uh, there was one person in particular who got just just too deep in their (laughs) private messages to me about like the specific like fetish thing they were going to use their Kigurumi for. So (laughs) I feel like every fan artist has uh, like at least a story of uh, like their, their dipping their toe into like horny art. So any, any experience with that? Not yet. No one's really asked me for anything outrageous yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but I do put on my commission board, like, you know, for right now, not safe for work. Cause I really don't think, um, I'm, I have the qualifications for that, but I am okay with like a little bit more, like sort of beforehand, sort of like very suggestive, just like, um, heat of the moment sort of pictures before it fades to black sort of stuff. So I might be dipping my toes a little bit more into that sort of art, a little more raunchy, but nothing explicit. But then again, that's just like a hard boundary. And I'm like, you know what? I realize I'm not the best artist for this. And I think there's a lot more talented people out there who could do that. But this is just, you know, and also just for boundary's sake, I put it explicitly on my commission board, just like, you know, just not say for work. And usually people are very, uh, very respectful of that and no one's really come up to me and asked for that kind of stuff so i'm i'm not that interesting 
people are getting better than they used to be about this sort of thing can i just say uh yes uh i I was gonna sort of like jokingly say like it's only a matter of time but like (laughs) actually the the internet uh the internet has improved as far as like uh etiquette with people's personal boundaries uh it used to be like i was you know in in fandom stuff and like going to anime conventions and stuff uh like the first anime convention i went to was it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 2003 so i would have been like 13 or 14 years old and uh like people just did not censor themselves people did not have any courtesy about like what they allowed young people to see at the time so uh i'm i am glad there's there's certainly people who take it too far and like try to tell people what they are and aren't allowed to do Mm -hmm. but uh like the 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 better segment of that is that like people are aware of just like giving people heads up about what they're about to experience people are aware of like segmenting uh the stuff that some people don't want to see you know yeah they are a lot more respectful because i think more artists and more writers and everything are speaking out and saying you know i'm really uncomfortable with this and also can we set some boundaries and i think post Post Fifty Shades of Grey and a lot of people from the BDS community, BDSM community coming out and saying, hey, this is actually what goes on. I think with that knowledge, a lot of people go, you know, you know, yeah, talking about your boundaries and everything's not a bad idea. Yeah, maybe this <laughs> is real- healthy and good for you, actually. Yeah. So I would say, like, I'm more of a pinup artist. I'm okay with pinup stuff and everything because, I mean, like... I mean, so some for art, like adults do have that sort of side to them. And also it's fun, but I wouldn't say I, yeah, I think people are very respectful in that regard, especially after, you know, like, listen, we have this in writing and if it also with like YouTube videos of people talking about their commission horror stories, I think people look <laughs> at that and go, oh, I'd rather not be that customer. I'd rather not mm-hmm. be that client. <laughs> Oh boy, I remember the DeviantArt days. Do you remember when Tumblr was horny? Were you on Well, Tumblr? yes. Oh god, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember when Tumblr was super horny. I remember yeah. when DeviantArt was super horny. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers crazy. Well, I mean, the internet is... So I had an art teacher, and we had this uh, project, and it was digital, and she was trying to be very poetic and very deep and saying, yeah, it's interesting, because what would we lose if we lost the internet? And I immediately went, we'd only lose cat videos and porn. That's it. Everyone in the... Yes, but also, like, (laughs) we were just saying, like, we have built all of these... uh, you know, these very enriching, like, communities of people on the internet. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying some of those communities are a lot more hornier than others. And then some are just oh, like, yeah. but my cat no. is so adorable. No, I'm I'm in some horny uh, internet communities. Can attest. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the internet is uh, a weird reflection of mankind, honestly, because... We, we do have these wonderful positive communities on the internet. And then we also have like, you know, fucking white supremacists and shit just existing with the, uh, these insular communities. And oh boy, I'm now, oh. I'm now I've stressed myself out thinking about it. I'm just like, now I'm imagining this scenario your teacher pointed out. Like, what would we do? What would life be like without the internet? And I'm like, oh God, was it worth it? Was any of this worth it? Can we go back? Well, that's just with any building of knowledge. Before the internet, there were libraries. And before that, there was just like people in circles only talking to each other and stuff. So any amalgamation of information placed in a place, you're going to get some good and bad eggs. Like Mm -hmm. there's going to be a mixture of different communities and stuff. It's just... um, I think it's just us talking to each other. And again, post 50 shades of gray with people from the BDS community speaking out and then setting up boundaries and people learning more about it and going, Oh, Oh, talking to each other. And like, we're learning from each other when we sort of speak up. So it's really nice to, um, it is true that, yeah, it wouldn't be, it would be a good, um, these sort of places. And like, I think it's just people sort of opening up and, listening more to that's the other thing so off this off this philosophical uh tangent 
on information versus communication and all that stuff because we're very weird species but i can assure you that when something's invented the second thing it's going to be used for is something sexual that's all i gotta say oh yeah oh yeah the humans humans love to be horny they sure do (laughs) they sure do love to be horny there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's consensual and uh with two adults in the really with adult stuff or several adults or whatever you know whatever you're you're into oh Uh, oh, yeah no i guess it's just right correct age group that's what i was trying to go for correct age group yep um like i just remembered something i saw on twitter that was like if uh if crypto was valuable porn would have found a way to use it like five years ago oh yeah yeah same with uh like i i should look up this person and credit whoever tweeted this it's probably been retweeted uh like it's probably been tweet plagiarized multiple times right now but there was somebody on the internet who had a tweet that went viral that was like look if crypto was a viable like product porn would have found a way to do business in it because they're all about like you know untraceable private uh transactions and if NFTs were a thing that was valuable to the art community, the furries would have been all over it by now. The furries would be like the the most senior NFT traders there are. So the fact that neither of these communities has expressed any interest in these weird like currencies uh, should should make you suspicious of them. Now I'm imagining someone going, listen, if the furries haven't gotten to this product, why should I invest my time in this? True. I mean, like, that was a compelling argument for me. I I mean, I wasn't (laughs) considering investing in NFTs to begin with because they like, you know, I know that they're like extremely bad for the planet and stuff. But besides that, they just kind of sound dumb. Like they don't quite pass the sniff test, you know, like. They're very confusing. And also people can still get a copy of said image, despite whether the rights are with someone else. We learned about control copy in middle school. So I'm pretty, it's pretty safe to say I don't, unless they have like different technologies to block off. It's better just to get a print. Yeah, that's the thing with I've had <laughs> I've had so many people explain NFTs to me. Uh, I'm not going to attempt to explain NFTs, but the art is not the point. The the crypto bro street cred is the point. Is, is <laughs> crypto all bro. Yeah, the crypto bro street cred is what you're buying when you invest a hundred thousand dollars in an NFT. So um, yeah, it's not real. Don't buy NFTs, everyone. Don't do no. it. It's, no, no. Bad news. The artists, no. the artists don't benefit. Uh, like it's just these dudes. It's just a circle mm. jerk of dudes buying monkey portraits from each other. It's these crypto bros who sit in a hot tub together, five feet apart, because no homo or something like that. I don't know. Just yeah. <laughs> we're okay. We're just here getting NFTs from all these artists and stuff. And meanwhile the artists are just like, I I don't understand how this works, but uh, um, how am I gonna not starve today? No, it's it's completely ridiculous. Be, don't do it. Talk you to your local put, artist. Commission. Yeah, you should, just You should put that on a mug. How am I gonna not starve today? <laughs> Well, and the reason why a lot of uh, Renaissance artists did make money and didn't have that much OCs was because the church was commissioning them all these works saying, hey, um, can I commission you to do like a picture of Mary and baby Jesus and uh, a bunch of sheep and all that stuff? World cool. 700,000th portrait of Mary and baby Jesus. People aren't <laughs> literate. We got to show them what the deal is with this religion that we've come up with. Come on now. Come on, we get well, and for us visual learners, and also the Bible wasn't really translated for layman's until like the 1500s with Luther coming to the door and saying, maybe we should make this accessible to everyone. So beforehand, every all the churches were going like, ah, oh, like all these uh, illiterate people because we haven't let them become literate or given them an education. We have to p- teach them through pictures and through telling. Well, Catholic Mass wasn't said in the Vulgate until Vatican II, which was in like the 60s. Catholic Mass oh, was said see, in that makes... until like d- my parents were alive. See, that makes it even more confusing and worse. So no wonder everyone was commissioning arts of baby Jesus and Mary. We just want to enjoy some baby Jesus and Mary, guys. Why can't and we they... have 
Why can't we have? Why can't we have some good, good pictures of baby Jesus and Mary, even though some of them, the proportions are really wacky. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff you learned in art history and you kind of look at it and go, Oh, and Oh, actually really good point on that. And with art is, uh, the reason why we have so many cool art styles nowadays is because get ready for it. Cameras, the invention of the camera made it so that artists didn't have to draw realistically or paint realistically. Mm-hmm. So they're just like postmodernism, Y'all let's play with shapes and colors. Uh, I also imagine that you could do uh, like, even if you weren't uh, uh, creating art in a realistic style, just the freedom to not have a model standing in your studio for hours and hours on end getting muscle cramps is yes you know hugely beneficial you can do you can take a photo and reinterpret it like 50 different ways without ever having to bother some some poor schmuck to like sit in your studio so you can look at how their arm bends or whatever exactly no it is very beneficial and it really frees up uh yeah it does free up the model too as well as the artist that's a really good point and it, nowadays with phone cameras, it's much more accessible to get reference po- photos of even places, mm-hmm. which really helps. I mean, backgrounds can be difficult for some artists and it can be really easy for others. But just to have that nice reference of like, oh, wait, what's the design of this building again? I got to look at that and fix that or whatever, even just like to for memory's sake. So that it- you can also <laughs> look up reference pictures of Naruto if you want uh yeah so any fan artists out there who are like oh man how do i make like how do i get this correct so the two terms in animation you gotta remember is character designs and model sheets so if you're looking for a specific character or whatever type in their name and then type in character design or model sheet in google so that's the best way you're going to find it if um and because again animators as well need these references when they're drawing 24 frames per second going okay, what does the shirt look like? I cannot remember for the life of me. And then they could just look at the uh, reference piece and go, okay, okay, that's right. I've drawn this shirt 17 times and suddenly it's just purged itself from my brain. Ah." (laughs) (laughs) Or or when you have really, I bless these artists who try, but really complicated character designs or costume designs, and you're trying to draw them a bunch of times in an action sequence. Thank goodness for character design sheets. Because I feel really bad for the artists who do Castlevania. Because so many buttons. There's so many buttons. Oh, I was just listening to an episode of Cerebro, which is a, uh, a podcast about the X-Men. Very good podcast. Can recommend if you like the X-Men. But it was the episode about Gambit. And they were mentioning that, uh, I think it was Rogue. Like, one one writer insisted that, like, Rogue get a tattoo. Like, a sleeve tattoo in one issue and uh they like immediately after that the they just decided like we're like all the artists were like we're not going to draw that like the one the (sighs) writer insisted on it not realizing like the extra labor that it would take to do that for the remainder of this character's entire life as a a comic (sighs) character so they maintained the tattoo for like that one like 13 issue run or whatever and then basically as soon as he wasn't looking they just stopped drawing the tattoo (laughs) oh yeah yeah unless you're going to draw out the tattoo in a digital file and then have it so that they can just copy and paste it and warp it onto the arm for the colorists when need be i agree with those artists that's way too much time and effort when you're trying to draw a bunch of frames in order to make a sequential story in this amount of time (laughs) Yeah, also, even that, I'm sure, is more labor. Like, even if you have, uh, like, a 360-degree file of it and can just lay it over your art, then, like, that that's still going to take extra time. And I know that these poor people are on these tight, tight, tight deadlines, like, working themselves to death. So, yeah, this was also, I want to say that this was, I think it was Claremont who did that. So that would have been decades ago. That, yeah. This was long before, like, digital art. So, uh, yeah, that was never going to maintain itself. (laughs) Claremont? Claremont, what are you doing? I feel like for, oh my gosh, a lot of... So, it would be really kind if... I wish more comic book studios had internships 
so that, or like internship programs so that artists and writers can, it would be really beneficial too to have a program where they have to make an entire comic chapter by themselves and then see what the process takes for all the pieces to come together so they have a better understanding and empathy for each other. I mean, I think comics are still not, like, a well-respected enough medium that, like, art schools bother teaching people, like, comics editing. And, like, I could be wrong. Like, I, I didn't go to art school. But I know people who went to art school. And, uh, like, although, like, the graphic novel is kind of, like, entering mainstream media more than it was, you know, 20 years mm -hmm. ago or whatever... I don't know anybody who, like, took a class on, like, comic books or, like, comic book, uh, like, process, so. Yeah, I've heard of, like, one or two universities that do do that, and that's probably more in, like, the California area, because that's where the major studios are, but that wasn't taught in my school. It was very general, like, media arts, and then, like, taking the fine arts just in, to sort of get a better understanding of that stuff but yeah they do need to that is a sad part of the education system is that they don't really take these into consideration but you are correct that a lot more graphic novels are entering into the media including for a lot of teachers and students a lot of educational graphic novels because more people are saying oh this is just a different way of telling the same information in an entertaining way too. Okay. This could actually be beneficial for everyone's learning experience. Yeah. Imagine that pictures are good. We've been doing pictures literally since be probably before we had language. So maybe that's good. Maybe we, we should do pictures more. <laughs> I remember. So I remember there was a kid that came up to my table at a convention and they were dressed up in 1700s garb and they said, okay, you got to guess where I'm from. And the first was like, uh, beauty and the beast. No. And we've taken a couple more tries. And they said, Hamilton, I'm just, I'm a character from Hamilton. That's how I aced my history test. I'm so proud. I'm so happy and proud. Cause we're humans are not, we just got the part of our brain that's more logical, quote unquote, but we're much more emotional creatures. So when we're telling stories and it has an emotional context, we hang on to that emotional context and it gives us um, something to cling on to information more. So, Also, emotions are not illogical. Uh, I know that this is a dichotomy that people have sort of invented, but um, like while emotions can certainly lead you to make wrong choices, emotions can lead you to right choices also. Like we developed emotions through an evolutionary process because emotions benefit us. That's so, yes. Um, emotions are good. And also yes. like thinking through things and examining your own emotions are good. These are both yeah. good. Yes, thank you, for, thank you for pointing that out. And actually in Temple Granite, one of Temple Granite's books, um, she's got some really good stuff. Some of her stuff's a little out of date just because of times, but it's really nice to have someone on the spectrum writing about the spectrum and know what they're talking about. But she used this example about emotion helping with decision-making and someone who, uh, there was a case where someone with an emotional lobotomy, he was having a really hard time scheduling stuff and making decisions because there wasn't really that emotional importance behind it mm -hmm. so it's and the, again like it's really interesting to see sort of the history of storytelling and its importance and stuff but in learning things instead of having a teacher or someone come up to you with monotone and saying these are the names and dates blah 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 when you have a story and we have emotional resonance behind different figures in history or something pertaining to today or something like that, our brains sort of cling on to that more. And then we sort of intake information that has to do with that, which much more fever, much more enthusiasm, and it really sticks. So you are incredibly correct. I guess it's just sort of the old sort of Star Trek part of the brain going oh kirk is emotion and spock is logic and they should just kiss already but you know mm -hmm. <laughs> i guess i'm still holding on to that a little bit yeah i mean well it's this is this is like traditional well 
I I don't know when exactly in in like human society we decided that like reason and emotion were enemies, but we've we've been on that kick for a good long while now. So it's That's about uh, the same time I think very... the gender binary came into being. I don't know. A lot of weird stuff was going on then. My point is it's a popular idea, like the idea that emotion and and reason are like diametrically opposed. And uh it's not true. Like we have emotions for a reason. You know, we 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 got these baked into our whole system. So Hey, emotions actually help us survive. It is the same for yeah. animals and for everyone through evolution. Imagine that. Like being afraid of things actually will save your life sometimes. You know, if you can, you can be afraid of things for the wrong reasons. You can be afraid of things in ways that cause you to make bad decisions. But you can also be afraid of things in ways that cause you to make the right decision. And so. curiosity actually helps with like innovation and all this other stuff too. Yeah. It, it's... <sighs> It's very silly. Silly. It's very silly. All these like black and white rules and whatnot are very silly. And that's the same with art and science. Art and science shouldn't be separate. And that's why art needs to go back in schools as well to stop it. Just just stop the silliness, the strict silliness. Man, when I was I went to Catholic uh, elementary and middle school and we had art once a week in the cafeteria we had somebody come in to teach us one hour of art per week and we were basically just like drawing on construction paper one hour a week it was pretty pitiful <laughs> maybe if i'd had uh, some good art education i would be better at 2d art but anyway here we are well i think well that's the other thing there's this really weird perception of perfectionism and that's kind of influenced by social media too because we see the highlight reel from artists when really Art should be kind of fun. And the thing that really got me into comics making was Captain Underpants because I got to see an example of two kids making something goofy and having fun with it and going, that sounds like a great idea. And so <laughs> just like going off and making comics after that. But it's it's a really good example of this doesn't have to be like this awestruck sort of Madonna-esque perfect painting to be good. It's just like, oh, Somebody drew this and it, they just had a good time with it. And I think that's a big part of fan art is you drew this and you're learning from it, but you had fun with it and you're sharing that fun. Mm -hmm. This is my whole philosophy on fan fiction. This is, this is part of the reason I made this podcast is because like, look, even if it's not good, if it brings you joy uh, and you have the guts to share it with the world, then, like, you're braver than most people. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, my teacher friends talk about, you know, it's so difficult to get a kid to be creative because there is that fear behind it of judgment or not being good or anything like that. So anything that, like, brings that out, including fan fiction, fan art, or even, like, fan animatics is awesome. And we need more creativity gosh darn it art and science kiss already gosh darn it stop this stop this stop baiting us with this stop giving making us on edge with all of this darn it so yeah, just throw perfectionism out the window and have fun do things you're not good at just because they're fun yeah and experiment with stuff and see what happens even if it's not good good is Artistic. a bad concept i've decided <laughs> what is That's I said good is a bad concept. <laughs> it It's, yeah, it's like, I mean, I guess to say like, oh, I've seen you've worked really hard on this or, oh, I've seen like you're really improving on this rather than just like good and bad. Or um, if someone's asking for like criticism or critique, like I'd really like to get better at this or I'd like to understand something that seems more plausible. But like the conception of good and bad and everything is due to taste. Mm hmm. Except bright. Bright is objectively bad. <laughs> Bright's it's never going to be good. It's bad. It's never going to be good. Oh, no. Okay, there's a few things that go in the trash. Just I've go in takes. the trash over. I've got hot takes. <laughs> That's okay. I've got hot takes on things, too. I'm not going to say it on the internet because then people will come after me. But I'm just uh -huh. going to. I'll just come share the me, things. Guys I who like Bright. <laughs> Guys who like the movie Bright starring Will Smith, come at me. I'll fight you. I'll fight you in the parking lot of a Dunkin' Donuts any day of the week. Come at me. NFT bros. Oh, what was that? 
um, something or other bros. Oh, um, crypto bros. Crypto bros. Come crypto at me, bros. crypto bros. Come at me, crypto bros. Probably crypto bros like bright. That does seem like uh, the a Venn diagram of people that's almost a circle. <laughs> it's this. Oh, no. That does make sense. No, but I'd rather share things I really like and go like, I'll just foster like a positive community of like, hey, guys, do you like all kinds of genres do you like paranormal urban fantasy do you like groups of dummies running around together doing shenanigans i do too here you go here we go we're going off on an adventure we're friends now (laughs) we're friends now (laughs) come talk to me about gargoyles and vampires and yokai (laughs) trying to figure out tv sets (laughs) and again yeah and and of course like with stuff I really like, I analyze it and go like, oh, how could I put like certain elements of this into like original stuff too? Or just like go into a genre and say like, do I have anything to say about this genre? And then just go off on my own thing too. And another reason Scooby, another way Scooby-Doo has ruined me for life is of course crossovers. Because once you see Scooby-Doo meet the Adams family, you're never the same after that. What did you think of the Scooby-Doo live-action movie starring Freddie Prince Jr.? What did you think? What was your opinion? Ooh, the first movie seemed very, like, jabby, poke fun of Scooby-Doo. The second one seemed more genuine in saying, oh, we loved Scooby-Doo, and we here's some throwbacks, and I, we know it's got problems, but it's really sweet. So I guess the first movie had some good jokes, but the second movie seemed more endearing from fans. So I guess that's my hot take. It's just like... You know, there's people who like Scooby-Doo and we know it's problematic in certain ways, but I also just, you know, funny talking dog with his funny friend running around from scary monsters. Your hot take is the Scooby-Doo movie was okay. <laughs> it was okay for certain people. It's not my favorite. It's not my cup of tea. That's my I hot take. That, Some things are not that, my cup of tea. I think that might be the title of the episode. The Scooby-Doo movie was just okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Hey, that's my life, Scooby-Doo. There you go. That explains so much of my taste. (laughs) That explains why I got into Gravity Falls as well, too. Gravity Falls, uh, in my opinion, was better than Scooby-Doo, but that's, you know, again, a matter of taste. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely awesome, but Scooby-Doo is just sort of in the past, like, in my little childhood heart right there. And it's just like, oh, this is the springboard that got me into all this other stuff extremely understandable there's this there's certain things i think for artists they look at something as a kid and they're like this is the most awesome thing and it springboards them into their the something they love and then later on they look back and go like this wasn't as good as i thought it was but you know what it's still buried deep in my fandom heart it has served its purpose (laughs) so yeah but that's actually oh yeah because i wrote i had a little couple of notes here because i just remembered um i guess with speaking of gravity falls with alex hirsch i think another reason why fan art is good is because it's just a different way of storytelling it's not just oh this is pretty but also it's just a different it's a visual way of storing uh telling stories and there's a podcast um the animation podcast with the bancroft brothers and alex hirsch the creator of gravity falls was on it and he talks about when at first when he was trying to go into writing, he didn't feel like he was in his element and he couldn't really write right. But then he got into the storyboard section of his education and he's like, oh, I am a writer. I just am really, I, I tell stories better through pictures. I'm glad he figured it out because he made a good show. He did, yes. And he let he really respected the other storyboard artists that really brought a lot of stuff into the writing too. Uh, thank you so much for being on my silly little podcast about fan fiction and talking about stuff that you love. It's, uh, you it's so a pleasure every time. Thank you so much for hosting this wholesome, wonderful fan fiction or this wholesome podcast. I think there needs to be more good stuff that we can spread around. And this is just, it's just really nice because again, fun and good things should be spread around, whether it's original or fan based. I think both make it both why not just make it both or even just make crossovers of it too like I do in my brain all the time but just make it both
fan fiction is good, actually, is part of Where They May Radio, a small family of podcasters just doing our best. You can keep up with fan fiction is good, actually, on Twitter at fanficisgoodpod, and you can reach Evan via email at fanficisgood at gmail.com. For bonus content, including bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash wtmradio. Where They May Radio.